Holy Spirit, help us to hear through your word in Scripture your invitation to be part of healing this world. In Jesus' name, amen. I took my kids bowling a while back, and as I was there, I got fascinated with the reset button. You know that thing that when the pins get messed up, you hit the reset button, and the gizmo comes down and clears up the mess and resets the pin? So I was watching the reset button do its thing, and I thought about the kingdom of God. Because I'm a pastor, and even when I bowl, I think holy thoughts. <laughs> right. This spring, we're doing a sermon series on how the miracles around Jesus give us a preview about what the kingdom of God is about. And the story we read today, an angel shows up, which I'd call a miracle, and announces Jesus' birth and says that his kingdom will never end. And then Mary sings a song that describes the kind of kingdom that Jesus is going to bring. And basically what she says is this world is all messed up in all kinds of ways, and Jesus is the reset button. The kingdom of God is Jesus putting everything back the way that it's supposed to be. And do we need that, right? In our world needs it, and we need it personally in our own lives, because our lives can get messed up in all kinds of ways. Someone sent me a story, which I think is true, about a college football coach who was losing a game very badly, and they were backed up on their own three-yard line, and the coach figured the best shot that they had was to get a little further from the goal and then punt out of danger. So he called in his third-string quarterback because the other two were injured, and he said, I want you to hand off to the fullback Kowalski for the next two plays so he can get a few yards out and then punt, punt us out of danger. So the third-string quarterback did just that, what the coach said on the first play. Kowalski found a hole, ran 50 yards. Second play, same thing, found another hole, another 45 yards. So now they're on their opponent's two-yard line. It's first and goal. They're about to get a touchdown. Things have turned around. So the quarterback took the snap, stepped back, and then to everyone's shock, he punted. <laughs> and as he came off the field, the coach said, what were you thinking on that last play? And he said, I was thinking, what a dumb coach we have. <laughs> he needed a reset. Our lives get messed up. Small ways, big ways, our world is really messed up. And the kingdom of God is Jesus resetting this world. Today we are celebrating the official end of the giving period for the ripple effect. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's our three-year capital campaign to provide more and safer space for our children to learn about Jesus. Start the Jubilee Reach Center here in Bellevue to empower the poor. Help children in southern Sudan and to build the Center for Champions in Rwanda, which is now housing several hundred street kids and giving them an education and a future and a hope. And today is the official end of that campaign, although some of you have generously agreed to continue giving until December to help offset some cost overruns. And we also know that for some of you, because of the economy, you have had a hard time completing your pledge, and we understand that. What we would ask is that when you are able, as soon as you are able, to complete your pledge. Otherwise, we'll have to take on a lot of debt that we don't want to take. A couple years ago, a man came into our office and handed me a check for, uh, to, to complete a pledge that he had made for a capital campaign back in the 90s. So, never too late. <laughs> Little hint. As soon as you're able, if you could uh, complete your pledge, that would be great because we want to finish strong. But my main message today is to say three things. Thank you. We're not done. 
Jesus is always on the move, and we've started some ripples, but Jesus wants them to grow into a tsunami. And then third, I'm just going to tell you a lot of stories today of how through you, Jesus is resetting our world in a couple of ways. The first is Jesus is resetting the lives of the poor and the marginalized. In the scripture we read today, Mary says, He has lifted up the humble, he has filled the hungry with good things. Scripture mentions caring for the poor over 2,000 times. That's a lot of mentions. And it's not that God loves poor people more than anyone else. It's because his attention is drawn to them because they're hurting. John Wesley is the founder of Methodism, and his mother had 19 children. She needed a reset button. (laughs) Poor woman. She was once asked, which of your children do you love the most? And she said, the one that is sick until he's well, the one that is lost until he's found. God's attention is drawn to the poor because they're hurting. And if one of my kids is hurting, what I would want is my other two to help that one out. And that's what you all have been doing through the ripple effect. In Rwanda, several hundred street kids a year who were slated for death, but more importantly, slated not to live a a meaningful life, they now have a place to live and get an education that's going to give them a future. In Sudan, we're providing clean water and education for children. Do you know that here in Bellevue, 68% of the students in some schools are qualified for free or reduced lunch? Jubilee Reach Center is changing all of that through things like computer training for parents, English classes for immigrants, before and after school programs, a dental van, all kinds of stuff. Over 700 people a week are touched at that center. One family came from Cambodia and the parents had to hold three low-paying jobs just to make ends meet. They had to drop their kids off. They had to be to work 6.30 in the morning, so they dropped their kids off in the cold and the dark in front of school. And sometimes the, the, the kindergartner would end up wetting his pants as they waited for the school to open. The parents couldn't read English very well, and, uh, so they couldn't monitor their kids' homework. So, so the kids were starting to fall behind in school. Well, then they enrolled their kids in the before and after school program at the Jubilee Reach Center, where they found books and tutors to help them out. Their at-risk teenage son found a mentor, discovered he had musical gifts in their musical program there. And now instead of getting in trouble at school, they're they're succeeding, they're excelling. A community caregiver came alongside this family to mentor them in setting goals. Now this family has hope. Jesus is resetting the lives of the poor and the marginalized, and that's the kingdom of God. And y'all, y'all are part of it. Second thing that Jesus is resetting is that folks who don't know him are finding him. Mary says the original Greek of this verse says, My soul magnifies the Lord in the Greek. And that is that God is getting bigger and bigger in her life. And that's important because you see the hope of the world is not education or government. Have you noticed they haven't figured out how to solve all our problems yet? The hope of the world is Jesus. Because in order to cure a disease, the doctor first has to diagnose it correctly. And only Jesus diagnoses the real problem, which is our diseased heart that is selfish and fearful and greedy, and only Jesus changes it. When Jesus got a hold of the early Christians, they reached out across racial divides and started calling each other brother and sister, people who'd hated each other for centuries. As you've heard me say before, Christians in Rome would care for plague victims at the risk of their own lives because they knew that because Jesus was raised from the dead, they were going to be also, so they didn't fear death. Throughout history, folks who really know Jesus, not just go to church, say that they're Christians or whatever, but really know Jesus, 
When they really know Jesus, they change because they know that he came to reset this world so they move out into it to heal and to hope and to bring hope and to help. No other person in history has ever been able to make people that loving and selfless. That's why the building we're building is so important. That building is not going to change anybody's life. But it will provide a space that is safe and adequate. The old building was neither. Where our youth can get to know Jesus and be changed by him. It'll be done in August. We'll be able to move in in September. I want to say thank you to you parents, Sunday school teachers, for putting up with this year of construction hassle. Thank you. We're almost done. And when we are, we'll get a whole bunch of parking back. Somebody say amen. In our church, parking is a sacrament, right? <laughs> a while back, someone from this church emailed me a story about their 11-year-old son named Sam. And Sam was concerned about a special needs boy in his class that other kids were pretty mean to. And this boy said on the other side of the room was only there a couple hours a day, so Sam thought it might be awkward to just go talk to this boy. So Sam one night prayed that God would move this boy's desk next to his. Well, next day, Sam walked into his classroom. All the desks had been changed, and this special needs kid was sitting next to Sam. So Sam befriended this boy, even, that could, even though that could have opened him up to ridicule from the other kids. And they bonded through trading stuff from their lunches. Sam invited this boy to play handball with the rest of the boys at recess, something this kid had never been able to do before. Mother said in her email, not only has this changed this boy, who now has a friend for the first time in his life, but Sam has found confidence that God is always there when you call on him. And he will remember this answered prayer for the rest of his life. I'd say Sam is part of the solution in our world. Because Jesus is changing his heart through the ministry of this church. You know, it is hard to raise kids in this culture. I mean, I know. I've got three of them. It's hard. And you, you, know, you almost always end up feeling like a failure, don't you? Parents, right? You're like almost always feeling like a failure. Although a friend of mine recently comforted me when he said, you know, if you feel inadequate as a dad, Scott, just remember this. God was the perfect parent, but his first two kids made bad choices. So, okay. It's comforting. Took you a while to get that one. Adam and Eve, apple, bad choice. And our culture pushes our kids to make a lot of bad choices. All kinds of lies. You need to look like a supermodel to be valuable. Sex before marriage isn't going to hurt you, even though it does. If you don't have a 4.5 GPA, you're a loser. Money, toys, things, that's what counts in life. Who's going to tell them the truth? That's why I'm so grateful for our children and youth ministries that are connecting my children and hundreds of others to Jesus who can help them live up, not down. And we're doing that at the Jubilee Reach Center, in Africa, showing people Jesus. Last year when we were there for the opening of the Center for Champions in Rwanda, we played soccer with some street kids. And afterwards, Greg Milliken, our youth pastor, was talking to one of them named Eric, who was nine years old. And Eric lived under a bridge. And Greg said, well, what about this Center for Champions that is opening? And Eric said, I'm not on the list. Well, Greg felt God nudging him to say to Eric, God is going to provide for you, which Greg hesitated to do because how do you say that to a kid who's been living under a bridge? But it felt like God, so Greg said it. Well, that night, Greg and I were there when the agency we're, we're working with assembled all the kids who were going to go to the center the next day, and Eric was there. And when he saw Greg, he ran across the courtyard, hugged him with all of his might, and said probably in the only words of English he really knew, I love you. You said God. Now, Eric was probably on the list the whole time. He just didn't know it. But to him, God personally plucked him from underneath that bridge 
to give him a future, which is what God did through you. Jesus is resetting folks who don't know him to have a relationship with him. He resets the lives of the poor. He resets folks who don't know him to know him. And the last thing Jesus resets is our lives to have significance. Mary says, the mighty one has done great things for me. What is the great thing the mighty one has done for her? Well, he has made her part of his kingdom adventure. You see, Jesus is on the move in our world to reset what the devil has messed up, to bring good news to the poor, to bind up broken hearts, to heal marriages, to heal racial divisions, and to heal us who can sometimes get restless and bored and wonder, am I just made to work and consume? Is that it? And God says, no, you were made for the adventure of partnering with me to rescue this world. When we visited the Center for Champions two days after it opened, as we got off the bus, all the kids came running up to us and they were all shouting the same thing. They were all saying, I'm a champion, I'm a champion. And I thought, you know what, two days earlier, they were street kids. But God has changed their name. Street kids no more, orphans no more, homeless no more. Now they're called the children of God. And you made that happen. Jesus resets our lives to give us significance by making us part of his kingdom adventure. And even though this is the official end of the giving period for the campaign, the invitation keeps going because God is still on the move and he is never done until this world is set right. We'll be sending teams of people to Rwanda for years to come. And even if you haven't given to this campaign, you still can. Help with those cost overruns, folks who can't complete their pledge. But more importantly, so you can be a part of changing all these lives. Or you can pray for the ongoing work that we started. Or sign up for a four-hour shift for the workday in August where we're going to help out in the schools and help repair homes for folks who can't do it themselves. Volunteer at the Jubilee Reach Center, our Sunday school, our youth programs, or simply in your office or in your neighborhood say, Jesus, what are you doing here and how can I help? Last week I got together with a pastor from another church that's about to do a capital campaign very similar to ours. They have three projects for their church, community, and the world, just like we did. And he said, tell me all the stories you can tell me from your campaign. He wanted stories. And I said, well, I'm a storyteller. This works out. So I told him a story about a woman from our church who three years ago decided she'd give up coloring her hair so that she could give more money to the campaign, to which her 14-year-old daughter said, oh, man, now I'm going to have the oldest-looking mom in the school. <laughs> Affirming. But this mom said that she wanted her daughter to know that she was okay with herself. And her daughter eventually adjusted. And also the mom said, I wanted to show her that helping others is more important than personal spiffiness. But this woman also got an unexpected blessing because for years she'd had this patch of irritated skin on her scalp that three different doctors couldn't diagnose. And her hair was thinning there and she was thinking, I'm going to have to start styling over it, you know, a.k.a. a comb over. But when she stopped dyeing her hair, the rash went away. It was caused by the dye. She ended her email to me, the Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> I told this pastor that story. I told him my own story that I told you three years ago about how when my wife and I were trimming as much out of our budget as we could so we could pledge more to the campaign, one of the things we decided was we'd cut my son's hair at home, save money. I mean, he's a boy, you know, his hair is simple. What does it matter? And my daughter, who was six at the time and very conscious of her appearance, said, you can cut my hair too if we can give more money to the kids, which for her was a huge sacrifice. And I told this pastor, and I think I told you three years ago, it reminded me of the MasterCard commercial 
You know, capital campaign, $16 million. Haircut, $15. My daughter's rightly ordered heart before God, priceless. I told him some stories from the Jubilee Reach Center, some stories from Africa, and every time I told him a story, he'd start to cry. He'd say, oh man, you're killing me, right? And, and he's not a sissy pastor. I mean, he, he's one of those macho pastors. <laughs> there are one or two of them. And at one point he said, I'm so glad we're doing a capital campaign. Okay, when a pastor says that, you know that God is on the move. Right? And it is a thrill to be a part of it. You know, it is no secret that I did not want to do this. Our children's ministries director, Jane Lewis, reminded some of this, us this week that at one meeting I apparently said, I didn't come to this church to build buildings. And I believe the words over my dead body were also uttered. <laughs> but I discovered that what I thought was my enemy was my friend. Because if I had not been a part of this, but maybe somehow in a dream got a vision of what could have been. Maybe somehow in a dream got a vision of that moment in Rwanda where I watched hundreds of kids get on a bus to go have three meals and sleep in a bed for the first time in their lives and get an education. One of the most significant moments of my life. I remember trying to tell Rich Leatherberry, our missions pastor, about it later that evening because he wasn't there. Kept bursting into tears. He thought something was wrong. I finally had to say, no, no, it's a good thing. On my deathbed, I'll remember that moment. If in a dream I'd seen that, and seeing my kids and hundreds of others connected to Jesus and hundreds of families lifted out of poverty in our community, if I'd seen all that and I hadn't been a part of it, I'd have felt such a loss. But it's not a could have been. It's an is for two reasons. Most important is Jesus. This was his plan. He made it happen. Only he could take a broken down building and turn it into thousands of lives transformed. He gets the credit. But I also want to say thank you to all of you. Because you responded. In the new building, there'll be a plaque that says, this building is dedicated to the glory of God and in grateful recognition of the sacrificial giving to the Ripple Effect campaign. Let the ripples continue. Thank you for giving. I told this story three years ago, but I want to end on it and tell it again because it captures a part of what I love about you as a church. And it was back when I was arguing with Jane Lewis about how I didn't come to this church to build buildings. And I said, there are kids in our community who are in poverty, kids in Africa starving to death. Are you telling me Jesus would want us to build this building and neglect them? And she leaned forward and she said, I'm telling you, Jesus would want us to do it all. And I thought I came to the right church. I came to the right church. Y'all are generous, y'all are faithful, but most of all, you are a church that has the guts to be part of what Jesus is doing in this world. Thank you. That doesn't mean we're perfect, we're not, but it does mean that we are blessed, that we get to be a part of God's rescue mission to this planet, and it isn't over. There's more adventure in his rescue operation to come. There's always more with God, and there is nothing so dangerous to Satan's plans as a church that is fully yielded to Jesus that literally scares the hell right out of him. And think about it, that would be hard to do. But I think you all scare him because you are yielded. And together we have, and together we will, continue to mess up, screw up, and foul up Satan's plans because it is just so much fun to make him mad because there's nothing he can do about it. Because when Jesus is on the move, 
And Jesus is on the move. And when he is, and when his people follow, then together with the Holy Spirit, we push back the margins of evil in this world. Together through Jesus, we make the kingdom of this world a little bit more like the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. And because he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And Jesus will not stop, will not rest, will not yield until his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Church, well done, well done, well done, good and faithful servants. Through you, Jesus has given the devil a black eye. Now let's keep fighting until we knock him out cold. What do you say, church? Amen. Amen. So, Lord Jesus, make it so, and we will give you all the glory. In your name, amen.